Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this concept of home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And the question is going to be, where is home? An important question in understanding how to be Christ followers in this world. Um, It's an important question for those who, as we've talked about in the past, want to live um, in Jesus' heavenly kingdom, in this unseen realm that Jesus said he came, he brought the kingdom of God, and so those who are following him are a part of that kingdom, as well uh, while we have our feet in this earthly realm on all the things that we can see. Our citizenship is important. So as we head that direction, I tried to come up with a scenario that might help us kind of get the idea, and especially today as we think about uh, the persevering nature, how we need to persevere on this journey. Well, and um, so let's see if let's see if this picture works, um, and maybe you can help me refine it if it doesn't. So here it is. Imagine that your parents are U.S. citizens, born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But on the day that you are born, they find themselves in the southernmost tip of Argentina. U.S. citizens in a foreign land. You're born into the world as a U.S. citizen, but your bassinet is in... Tierra del del Fuego. Is that how you pronounce it? Tierra del Fuego. I tried to find the southernmost part of South America. 6,594 miles flying. And then I tried to find, so I went online because you can find anything true online. (laughs) How far it would be in miles if you had to go by land. And so I looked it up and, and I got to this website and it gave me flying miles right away. And then I clicked on walking and the answer was, it's complicated. <laughs> like, all I'm asking is how, I mean, it's, it's land, right? And so, they, so the closest I could figure is some eight to 9,000 miles if you start walking. So as a citizen of the United States, but you've never been to the United States. But you're a citizen because your parents were citizens, but you're in a foreign land. You live there with your parents who constantly talk about home and pierogies and the pirates and the Steelers. And so your home is kind of a piece of Pittsburgh away from home. And so you, so even though you get used to being in Argentina, it never quite feels like home because your parents talk about a different home. You're still a child when your parents have left you with a, a nanny and they've, they've flown to Europe on, on, uh, for work. And there's a global disaster that shuts down most modern conveniences and all modern travel. The mandate from Argentina says that all foreign citizens have to leave. You cannot stay. And so you can't fly, 
You can't ride a bus. You can't drive a car. It's going to be a hike. You don't know how to get there. You don't know how long it will take. You don't know where you will get your supplies. But you know, 10 days from now, you have to start walking for home. On the day that you're to leave, a grizzled old man shows up with nine other people who are also heading for home, Pittsburgh, saying that he is from Pittsburgh and he guarantees you that if you will go with him and follow him and do what he tells you to do, that he will get you home. The goal is home. And he promises it will be better than anything that you've ever imagined or experienced in Argentina. He hands each of you, so the, he brought nine other people, so you're traveling together with nine other people. Then the ten of you, he hands a manual to each one of you that outlines instructions for how you are to live while you're on this journey. All of you are U.S. citizens journeying through a foreign land, and it promises to be dangerous and hostile because of the global situation. Off you go as a group following the old guy who promises to get you home. Now with that thought in mind, would you expect it to be easy to travel those eight to 9,000 miles from the southern part of the southern hemisphere, across the equator, across the Panama Canal, through Mexico, through southern United States, which might be the scariest of all, all the way to Pittsburgh. You would not expect it to be easy. Do you think it would be quick? Do you think it will all go according to plan? <laughs> You've seen enough adventure movies to know that's not going to be true, right? Do you think you will uh, never get sick or injured? Do you think you will get along with those other ten people? <laughs> Do you think you will ever doubt the grizzled old man? We know from experience and history that it will be hard, unpredictable, physically challenging, filled with disagreements and doubts. It will be especially hard because we don't know how. We don't know the how of the journey. And we have to trust somebody that we don't really know. And yet he has promised that he's been there and he'll get us home. The only way that you'll have a chance is to trust and persevere. It's the only way. So would you be satisfied if you started well, made it um, halfway through Argentina, but didn't get any farther? No, it's not a trick question, right? The goal is home. Who knows what will be halfway through Argentina? Would you settle for making it most of it? Would you settle for making it to Houston? <laughs> okay, how about Mexico City? No. Let's do that. <laughs> no, we wouldn't. That, you know, we're, we're more than two-thirds of the way home. But we wouldn't be happy because that's not home. The goal is Pittsburgh and nothing short of making it to Pittsburgh is acceptable. And that's the scenario that I, I, you know, as I was thinking yesterday, 
I'm trying to create what it's like for us. Because we have been born in, uh, when we're born again, we're born in a foreign culture. And we are made citizens of heaven. And we've never been there. We don't know how to get there. And we desperately need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to know how to live in this life as a journey toward home if we're ever going to get there. And yet there's something in us that even though people tell us it's hard, even though people tell us when uh, when they, they talk about being a Christian, there's something in us we want it not to be as hard as it is. And, and, and I was on my knees this week and, and I sensed God say to me, what, what made you ever think it would be easier than it is? And I'm going, I didn't think it was easy, but evidently I think it should be easier in some ways than it actually is. If I, if I'm, and, and that would be the experience. If you're walking from the southernmost tip of Argentina, you don't know what to expect. You don't know how hard it's going. You, don't know how, you, you know it might be hard, but in, in concept, but when it, you hit things that are hard, you didn't know it was going to be that way. The only possibility we have is to make, is to endure to the end. And so I put a scripture in there from Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 to 13. Jesus is talking about the end times and how it's going to get harder and harder. And he says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Many will stop loving me. The love of many will grow cold. They will stop trusting me. They won't follow me anymore. They won't obey me anymore. And then he makes this statement, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not the one who starts the trip, not the one who makes it two thirds of the way. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so as we go back to Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has been talking about, um, last week we, we said the issue that we have to settle is, is knowing Jesus better than anything else? Remember I was talking about that? Is knowing Jesus better than anything else? And so the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to look at in a moment, starting verse 7, he tells us it is, it is. Knowing Jesus is better, but you have to endure to the end. Knowing Jesus is better. So the second issue that we need to settle is, am I willing to do whatever it takes every day to stay on the trip? No matter what comes, no matter how hard it is, no matter what I have to face. So look there in Philippians chapter 3, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And, and we talked about this last week. I'm not going to teach it again. Um, you can get the CD. Or did you notice in the bulletin there's actually a QR code now? You can just use your phone. Those of you um, that know have, have a smartphone, and you can, it'll pull up the message. It'll, it'll pull up the website where you can go right to the, the message. And I was going to thank Greg because he did it and he's not here. So, Greg, you don't get thanked. <laughs> oh, he's listening. Okay. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> Indeed, I count everything, 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 everything as lost compared. 
has lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. It's a done deal. And I count them as rubbish. It's an ongoing decision, choice, behavior. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, it's a future choice. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, I'm no longer depending on what I can do to earn it. But that which comes through faith in Christ, I'm trusting him and what he's done. The righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, surrendered, obedient, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So the Apostle Paul says, I made that choice. But it's not enough to know and believe that Jesus is better than anything. We have to live it. It's not enough to be at the southernmost tip of Argentina and have my parents talk to me about the pirates and pierogies all my life to the point where I believe that Pittsburgh is, is... Mecca, and that is better than anything else. It's one thing to believe that. It's another thing to live like it. And that's what he's he's telling us here. And so he said, we settle the issue, but then he goes on in verse 12 and he says, but we never arrive. And it's as if Paul is saying, "I, I don't want you to, to, perceive that because I have discovered that knowing Jesus is better than anything else, and that's what I'm living for, and I'm pursuing it, that I've arrived. I don't want you to think that I am, um, that I've, I've got it all together, that I'm, I'm proud, and, and I don't have to worry about doing anything. He says, no. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this, or am already made perfect. He says, I have I have put my stake in the ground and I believe it and I'm living it, but I know I have to pursue, pursue more. I've not, I've not gotten there. I'm still on the journey. And so I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it I I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we'll talk more about the, the implications of that. What I want us to zero in on today is not only do we have to settle the issue that Jesus is better than anything, we have to settle the issue that I'm going to stay on this journey no matter what comes. Amen. I have to endure. If you do a study in the New Testament, what you'll find is the words endure, patience, perseverance are in almost every book of the New Testament. Because there's a a framework, there's a paradigm, there's a a view of life that we need to gather that this is a journey. We have not arrived. And we need to be focused, we need to persevere, and we need to view it as this lifelong hike that will be hard. So let's talk about some actions to take. Number one, we need to have a laser-like focus on Christ. A laser-like focus on Christ. Going back to that story, 
the 10 people that are following this grizzled old man who promises to be their guide, their responsibility is to follow what's in the manual and keep their eyes on the man, on the guide. Because he knows where he's going. That's our job, is to keep our eyes on Christ, to keep our eyes on the Holy Spirit, to stay in step with him, with a laser-like focus. Our default is the path of least resistance. You might want to write that down. Just as a reminder. We all learned that in school, right? Water will follow the path of least resistance. If you've ever had a leak in your plumbing at your house, you know that it's true. I have, I've got friends who are good with their hands, uh, and they'll say, I don't do plumbing. Because it's the hardest thing, because it's the path of least resistance. And that might be your basement, that might be you know, your sewing room, it might be your kitchen. Um, because water will go where it can get through. And that's the way we are. If you don't think that's true, just think about being a kid. The path of least resistance would be when your parent comes in and says, okay, who made that mess? And even though you did it, you say, oh, Johnny did it. You know, my brother did it. And it's, you know, I love those old cartoon, cartoons by um, Bill Keen, I think it was, Family Circle. You know, not me, not me, not me, not me, not me, not me, not me. Path of least resistance. And so our default is not to have a laser-like focus on following Christ, especially when it gets hard. Our default is to try to find the path that's easiest. And so we have to deliberately follow Jesus' instruction. Luke, well, I go back to Luke 9.23 a lot. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he has to deny himself. That's the path of hardest resistance. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Go back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this, or I am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, I've, ne- I've not arrived. This is the apostle Paul. After 20, 30 years of ministry, after having just so many of these powerful experiences, and he says, I haven't arrived. I don't want you to think I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm at this place. I'm and it's almost as if he's, he, he's guarding himself about being proud. And he's trying to, and he's recognizing his dependency upon Christ. He says, I got more. I got more to go. We have to continue to pursue it. So I press on. I move quickly, energetically toward the objective of Christ. I, I'm running straight to the goal. Jesus has already done the work on the cross. He says, so I'm not trying to earn my salvation but I'm pressing on and following him to walk in step in obedience to him in order to win the prize. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I haven't considered, I haven't made it my own yet. He's, he's forgiven, but he's not what God wants him to be tomorrow. And so he presses on. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. So you're with this, this um, crew of 10 people and you're following the guide and you get 100, uh, 100 miles up Argentina and um, it's taken you two weeks to get that far 
And somebody in the group inevitably says, you know, when we were back home, it was so much easier. I haven't had popcorn for two weeks. I'm tired of eating cold food. And, and my feet hurt. When, can we just go back? No, he says, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting the good that was behind. Forgetting the bad that's behind. He says, leaving it in the past. There are times when I've listened to people's testimony who, who led a, a, a very sinful life. And they talk a lot, and they'll talk a lot about that sinful life, and they'll, they'll tell tales about being in a gang and having killed people and doing drugs. And, and, and you almost get the idea that they miss it. Don't you? And then there, there are some times when we can look back on our old life and we think fondly when we weren't even following Christ. Forgetting the good, forgetting the bad, leaving it behind. He says, not even having it in mind, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Forgetting about it. And instead, straining forward to what lies ahead. And the picture is of a running, stretching out towards the finish line. Stretching out, straining forward. Um, Straining toward those things even when it's hard, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult. Straining forward, not holding back. And that's what we saw in the kids, um, in the kids lesson. Here's Paul, or I'm sorry, John and Peter, and they're being told, don't say anything in Jesus' name. Straining forward, they're saying, no, we are going to obey God. Straining forward, even when it was dangerous. They didn't know if they were going to be arrested or killed. They had no idea. Straining forward. He says then, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Looking up. And so one of the things that we do is how not to look back but to strain forward is to keep our eyes up. As you're marching along through Argentina and you have your head down and you're looking at all the difficulties and the struggles and you lose sight of where you're headed, you get discouraged. Looking up to the goal. And here the picture is, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. I press on, I keep going with intensity. And the picture is of a, of a, in a Roman arena, the, the winner would come before the judge. And they would be standing down there, the, the judge box would be up, and they would look up to receive the prize that they had won. And it would be given to them. And so he's, he's given a picture of that arena. The pri- Here's the prize. You ready? Here's the prize. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Enter into your master's happiness. That's the goal. The goal really isn't Pittsburgh. Right? <laughs> I know some of you are really disappointed. The goal is Jesus. It's not, it's, it's heaven. Heaven's involved, but it's Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Laser-like focus on Christ. Now, um, turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Laser-like focus on Christ. So here's another picture. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Somebody give that man a tissue. <laughs> Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the divine council made up of the heavenly beings and those who have gone before us. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Laser-like focus means we shed extra stuff that we don't need. If you're marching through Argentina with a refrigerator on your back, you got an extra weight, right? It's, and we pull, and we, so we hold on to those things. And the, the longer you're a Christian, the, the, um, the more you try to follow him, there will be times when the Holy Spirit will say, you need to let that go, even though it's not sinful. It's just, it's a distraction that's getting in the way. Pay attention to that. Because what the Holy Spirit is doing is giving you the ability to continue to walk better, not taking stuff away. And the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance, endurance, perseverance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Laser-like focus on Jesus. Don't pay attention to the stuff that's in the way. Don't, be attention, uh, don't pay attention to stuff you left in the locker room. Pay attention to Jesus. Keep your eyes on him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. He's our model that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Keep your eyes focused on him. Eyes and effort not on what we can get, but from what Jesus, who Jesus is. Eyes and effort not on the crowds, what people are saying, the approval, the affirmation of the people around us but eyes on him. And I, and I don't know, those of you that have played um, any kind of athletics, I don't know how it was for you, but when I got in the middle of a game, I wasn't even aware of the crowd. I, I, I could hear the fellow basketball team members, you know, when they were telling me, but I, I just completely lost an awareness of the crowd. That's what it means. Don't even have an awareness. Eyes and effort, not on the weights or the sins, not on the things that are holding us back. Jesus has forgiven us. Put our eyes on Christ. Christ is our goal. He's our example. He's our inspiration. He's our all. So when you're, contest, and when you're in the contest, don't allow yourself to be distracted. I think one of the difficulties of being a Christ follower in our day are distractions. It's distractions. It's all the screens that we have around us. It's all the noise that we have around us. It's, and we, we need to pay attention to the Spirit's leading in order to get those distractions. Because if we're distracted, we're not, we don't have our singular focus. We don't have that laser-like focus. So here's an application question if you want to take this home and think about it, pray about it, is what are the distractions? Not if, but what are the distractions? that the enemy is using to pull you away from a laser-like focus on Christ. What are they? 
And how, and Lord, how do you want me to surrender them? Because we need the Holy Spirit to even identify them. We are blind so oftentimes to the distractions in our lives. Number two, recognize that this journey is an obstacle course with enemies trying to take you out. It's an obstacle course with enemies trying to take you out. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8 said, this is the Apostle Paul, um, as the Holy Spirit leads him to write to his, um, the, one of the young men that he mentored, Timothy. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. And I find it interesting that that's the picture that he uses for this journey from salvation to heaven. He uses, I have fought the good, he uses a lot of other examples and pictures, but this is a strong one. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. I have fought the good fight. I've I have kept the faith. I've stayed true. I have endured. And I'm going to get the prize. When we accept Christ, we're born again. And we're, but we're born into a foreign land. And that begins our lifelong journey. And, and here's where I've begun to reframe. I think the Holy Spirit has begun to reframe for me. Is we often think of the Christian life as a race, right? I mean, it, it uses that terminology, but as if it's a sprint from the starting line to the finish line on a flat surface, comfortable climate, and uh, the winds behind us. And then I think sometimes it moves to, no, it's, it's not a sprint. Have you ever heard anybody say this? The Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I used to go, yeah, that's, and I've come to believe, no, that's not, a, that's not, oh, no. Because a marathon is still on usually nicely paved roads. There's some ups and downs, there's some ins and outs, but then you cross the finish line and people are giving you water and accolades. And it's over in a few hours. And I've come to believe, no, that's not good enough either. It's a trek from Argentina to Pittsburgh that's going to take who knows how long. And I, here's what I think it is. It's an obstacle course that lasts your entire life with enemies shooting at you, trying to take you out. Aren't you glad you're a Christian? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm a Christian. But we need to understand that this life is not easy in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's full of not just ups and downs as a marathon is, alligators and, and treacherous waters and, and enemies that are behind trees shooting poison darts at you trying to kill you. That's the Christian life. And once we understand that and accept that, then we go, oh, okay, I can do that. But it's different than a race or a marathon. Hebrews chapter 10. So flip over if you still have your Bible open from Hebrews chapter 12 to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 35. 
Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. Don't give up the race, he's saying. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away um, the, the path that you're on. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. You're in this group of 10. You have to have faith in your guide. You have to have faith in the manual that he's given you, that what it says is best. Live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You have need of endurance. And then verse 39. I love the passion and the challenge behind it. But we are not of those who shrink back. We are those who shrink back, God won't be pleased with. Those, those who give up, God won't be pleased with. But then he, he, it's, a, it's like he speaks in a rally cry saying, together, we're not like that. We are not those who shrink back. We are not those who give up. We are not going to allow one another to give up. All 10 of us are going to make it to Pittsburgh no matter how long it takes, no matter how hard it is, no matter the difficulties that come, no matter if we have to stop and wait in order for somebody to get healed or helped. We are not those who shrank back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are those who continue to walk every single day into this obstacle course. We will make it. Not by our ability, as the Apostle Paul says, but by the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit within. Which brings us to the next one. Number three, if we're going to make this journey all the way to the end, we need to listen, apply, and persevere with God's instructions. We need to listen to what God has to say. So you're on this, you're on this journey. He, he's given you a manual. You spend time in that manual so much so it gets tattered and torn because you're taking it in. And, and you apply it. You put it into practice. And so that when you get halfway into South America and you're not sure how to get along with these other nine people, you open up the manual and say, how do we solve this? What do we do next? And keeping and then listening, paying attention to the Holy Spirit. You might want to write this down. The journey of the Christian life, this obstacle course of the Christian life, is mostly a grind. It's mostly just day by day by day by day. Listening, applying, and persevering in my relationship with my spouse, with my kids, with my parents, with my neighbors, when I'm at work. It's just a grind. And every once in a while, there's a highlight. But the highlight is the exception. It's just mostly a grind. You start from Tierra del Fuego in Argentina, and you get to Pittsburgh, it's because you've had hundreds of days that you just grind it out. And if you get to well done, my good and faithful servant, it's because you've just grinded it out. Um, I put this scripture in there, Luke chapter 8. Um, the scripture is the parable of the 
four soils. Um, and we don't have time to read it. The point is there are four different soils. There's, um, he talks ab about um, the hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. And, it, and Jesus said, he, he gives a picture of a, a sower who went out to sow his seed. And the, the seed fell on all those different soils. And he said on the rocky soil, it, it grew up for a little while. But when testing times came, it withered and died. And he said, seed that fell in the thorny soil grew up along with the thorns. But then the cares of life and temptations came and it withered and died. He says, but the good soil held fast with honest and a good heart, with an honest and a good heart and persevered. It's not about the seed, it's about the soil. And it's about the soil that every day it just grew a little bit more, just grew a little bit more, just grew a little bit more, grew a little bit more. Our job is to be good soil. Just to not give up. Our job, actually our full-time vocation as a Christ follower is to be a Christ follower. We do a job to make money to live, but our vocation is to be a follower of Christ. Number four is then we face difficulties as preparation for next steps. We face the difficulties as preparation for next steps. Both steps here in this life and then steps into heaven. Um, those 10 people leaving from southern Argentina will not be the same people 30 days from the time they left because they will have 30 days of traveling under their belts and they will have learned some skills and learned how, you know, how to work together and, and what it looks like to follow the guide. And you add another 30 days and they will even have, have even more capacity for journeying. By the time they reach the equator, they will, they will be travelers instead of just city dwellers. Why? Because it's the obstacles, the difficulties, the struggles that builds capacity for continuing on the journey. There's a huge need right now in our culture for God to build capacity in us. Did you hear me? There's a huge need for God to build capacity in us. Because we're still, we, it's only through the difficulties, it's only through the obstacles that God can help us build, can, can build our character, and build our competency as Christ followers. It's experience, not in the good times. So if these 10, uh, 10 U.S. citizens were just following this guide on a cleanly made path, and every night they would stay in a motel where there were clean sheets and plenty of food, they wouldn't be that much different 30, 30 days down the road. But if, they ha if they're struggling every step of the way, they build capacity and they build character. That's what God needs from us. That's really a big part of what the shape training is all about. It's trying to discover who God made us to be and now how do we handle the things that he throws our ways and how do we work together in order to be the church with capacity so that he can trust us. So if you have your Bible still open to Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 5. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, he says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? When God deals with those who have accepted them as his as Savior, he deals with us as his children, loving as a loving Heavenly Father. He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. No, don't read punishment, but rather discipline that is correction, that is um, guidance, that is putting hard stuff in your way so that you grow. Nor be weary when reproved by him, when God corrects you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. So he, he says discipline is development. Discipline is, is correction. Discipline is getting you capacity and character to live this Christian life. And he does it because he loves us. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? The difficulties that we face, the obstacles that we have, the, the arguments and disagreements that we have with other people are not meant to take us out. The enemy tries to use them to take us out, but they're God's tools to develop us and get us to be able to persevere. The, you write this down. The only way the enemy wins is if you give up. You can mess up, you can struggle, you can fumble, you can, you can turn your, your head away from Christ for a little while. But the only way he wins is if you give up. He, go back to Jesus' words, he who endures to the end will be saved. Not perfectly, not without struggles, not without, but he who endures to the end. And that's what God is trying to get at in us. Facing the battles and temptations, battles and temptations are Satan's attempt to try to take us out and give up. But Romans 8.28 has no exceptions. God wants to use every one of those battles and temptations as his method to mold us more like Christ and make us more useful to him. And not only do we have a guide in the Holy Spirit, and the manual that God has given to us. But we have Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. All of heaven is, is geared toward helping us endure to the end. Amen. The only way we lose, the only way we don't make it, is if we give up. Just don't give up. Just refuse to give up. Settle the issue. I'm going to endure to the end. Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, highlight this. This is not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I don't know that I've gotten there yet. I'm okay with them. I don't know that I rejoice in them yet. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. So I go through difficulty, and by going through difficulty, I build capacity for continuing on. And endurance produces character, the character of Christ. And character produces hope. That is the, the confident assurance that God is in charge. And hope does not put us in shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Endurance is the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. 
hope this picture of traveling from Argentina to Pittsburgh helps. I hope, and I hope we can continue to use it as we look at home, our citizenship in heaven. But we need to settle this issue. Am I committed to just refusing to give up? That's really it. I want to do my best, but sometimes I don't do my, sometimes all I can do is just take another step. Just not, not because I feel like it, not because I want to do it, not because I'm inspired by it, not because I'm motivated, but just because Jesus says, take another step. Am I in it for that? Because in that parable of the sower, the vast majority of the seed didn't make it. Three out of the four sprouted up, but only one made it. And the only reason they made it is just they kept enduring as good soil. Would you bow your heads? It's one thing to believe that Jesus is better than anything else. To be convinced is quite another thing to live it. Would you ask God in this moment, Lord, is there any way then I'm not living it. Is there any place in my life where I'm not staying on this path to endure? Am I allowing distractions to have too much sway in my life? Am I whining because I want it to be easier? Is there anything, Lord, that you want to reveal? And if he does, don't beat yourself up. Just recognize that he's our loving Heavenly Father who disciplines us, corrects us, rebukes us, convicts us because he wants us to surrender to him, build capacity and character. Lord, I pray that you would show us more and more, individually, but together as the body of Christ. How we can follow you more closely, run this race with perseverance that as the Apostle Paul modeled for us with our laser-like focus on you, with a determination that comes from the Holy Spirit and a commitment that won't give up. Show us where we, where we need to grow. Show us where we're doing well. In the name of Jesus, we pray.